Welcome to Extended Clip, episode 39. I'm one of your hosts, Eddie Averill. I'm Malcolm Baum. I'm JT White. And today, we're going to be talking about Harlan County, USA, the 1976 documentary by Barbara Copel. Copel or Koppel? Uh, whatever you fucking want. Okay. And Gung Ho, the 1986 film by Ron Howard. Old Leave It to Beaver himself. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, this this double feature comes on the heels of uh, Politics Big Night Out, Super Tuesday. <laughs> All the stars were there. Yeah, but it seems like it's more like Weekend at Bernie's now, because he got killed on Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was hoping this would, when I was picking these, that this would be the Socialist Podcasters Victory Lab. Yeah. Just union boys, just yeah. hooting and hollering. Well, you know, if, if the movie taught us anything, it's that the, the struggle always continues, right? Yeah, we have to keep on fighting, as uh, said in, you know, a movie or something. <laughs> <laughs> Don't stop believing. <laughs> Hold on to that feeling. That, that's the message we got to take away from this. Yeah, but these are uh, two films, you know, about labor. Uh, the highbrow being, you know, a much revered documentary that, and this is kind of a personal favorite for you, right, JT? Oh yeah, absolutely. I watched this uh, for the first time last year, and I, I watched it twice. Uh, it was a real big, uh, I don't know, favorite of mine. I'm fascinated with like union history and that sort of thing. Uh, ever since being a, a young man, getting into Pete Seeger, uh, really that folk union fetishization is real interesting to me. And just like exploring like proletarian consciousness uh, in a way that I feel like is really profound in this film. And there's another uh, sort of spiritual sequel that she did to this, American Dream, uh, that's about like uh, meat meatpacking union i mm -hmm. think um that's pretty good like not uh as good as uh, harlan county but yeah yeah so harlan county usa this is a film about uh striking miners and they are on strike for you know over the course of i believe goes to 10 months or so yeah it's the whole film i think covers like a period of years i believe she started the film uh initially uh to talk about uh joseph Ublansky, mm -hmm. um, the like the person running for the head of the United Miners uh, Union, uh, who is killed in the film, um, and then it started to like diverge and explore this uh, particular Brookridge mine strike. The film opens on you know dialogueless, uh, just action, I guess you could say, uh, or work of the environment, introducing you. Uh, to the mine and you know you see the workers go on the little conveyor belt uh, on their stomachs into the mine and you hear the the folk music that JT uh, mentioned earlier which is you know used throughout this film uh, as kind of I don't even know really how to describe it because it's not really it's not really even to use it as transitions between scenes because I feel like so many of the scenes here 
are really punctuated by the use of this music. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it just speaks to the broader core of like the, the union movement with these miners. I feel like, cause it's sort of on the cusp of like, it's somewhat cinema verite, but I Mm -hmm. feel like Copal has more of an apparent authorial hand in this. Yeah. And like, which I feel like is necessary to explain the full scope and context because after we get that sort of like miners opening, like sort of seeing the work um, before we get into the particulars of the strike, um, we have like an old uh, toothless miner sort of giving the history of how labor has been pushed down and sort of um, like a brief summary of the yeah. workers movement. Yeah, he opens the film uh, like he's the first person who talks, you know, he opens it with saying how he was, you know, his, the price of his labor uh, was compared to the price of a mule when they, uh, his bosses were telling to, him to watch out for this mule uh, to make sure it's safe and he says what about me you know and they say you know we could re- we could hire another guy we have to buy another mule and i think that right away lets you know where uh the point of view of this film is coming from mm-hmm. the choice for that to be the first thing that you hear and then everything that unfolds after that is just like a furthering of that point of how you know the basis of labor works yeah, and I, I feel like this movie does a great job on like giving you the scope of everything. It really educates you on the subject, but in a way, you know, using kind of personal stories from the people within the unions or former coal miners. And uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, a lot of what's shown here is just, you know, furthers the labor uh, movement's point. And, you know, maybe that's maybe because it's right. You know, maybe that's the case. Yeah, no, you do see like the one optimistic note from the beginning is the sense of community you know this is like a mining town and in the beginning when you're you know getting acquainted with the environment and meeting these people who are going to be talking to camera throughout the film uh you know you see a guy riding around in his truck talking into like a pa uh kind of trying to to boost the morale i guess uh kind of almost like uh at the end of slacker the guy who's like driving around town in austin doing that kind of thing uh which i just thought was cool because it's not really like anything else you see in the rest of the movie yeah i feel like one of the illuminating aspects of it to me that i really latched onto the first time that was like surprising because it's a portrayal you don't really see is like the intersectional nature of the labor movement Mm -hmm. Um, especially because of how heavy, heavily involved uh, the miners' wives are in organizing the strike. I know the main woman we see that like pulls the gun out of her bra, yeah. uh, Lois Scott, who's like super gung ho about title drop of the next movie, um, but uh, is super excited about matching the violent tactics of the opposition in there and is the best at rallying the miners and not giving up their struggle. I think it's neat to see how much that plays in. You see, I mean, obviously, I'm not going to say that there wasn't an element of racism like in this community, but um, you see some of the black miners like working along with their like when uh, one of the striking miners is called the N-word, Lois Scott, like, is adamant in defending him. All of the, like, the spirit of organization is so deeply felt here that it is, despite being such a bleak movie about how these people are, you know, constantly oppressed despite uh, their organization, stuff like the way she rallies people into even, like, 
being equipped to carry a gun or just getting everybody mobilized to be on the picket line is it's a really encouraging thing to see yeah and seeing that consciousness which is something i feel like a lot of like of the liberal elite will talk down to like poor southerners and there's this stereotype that they're like stupid hicks but everyone is so aware of how they're being exploited and like the relationship of capital and labor one of my like favorite scenes in the movie plays out like after they've been striking for a few months and it's one of the miners in they're in new york city um protesting outside of duke power company and there's a scene where he's talking to a cop about their wages and just like how they're getting fucked over their benefits and stuff and the cops just like uh my job's not even dangerous i'm just doing bullshit like this (laughs) (laughs) yeah and it's talking to clowns like you (laughs) (laughs) but that is like a a very pro-labor type of thing is to discuss wages and stuff like that and themselves right Yeah. yeah they don't spread the wealth I thought you guys got paid a little more than you do. You don't well, get paid a bad salary, but I thought it was a little We get paid real good. No, it's not. Uh, but, you know. How much real good? Look. $5, $6 an hour? Yeah. That's we... not real good. I make more than that. Yeah? Sure I do. The policeman makes less yeah. down there. We make about seven. God, it's good money. We draw union strike benefits. Strike. And it's real hard, you know, to live on a hundred. Yeah, it does really burst stereotypes of how organized these people are and how you know aware of you know tactics by the police yeah and like you know thugs that the other companies are hiring like such an awareness that you like yeah most coastal elite libs could you know could never even dream of realizing yeah it's not like they're being exploited because they're stupid and unaware of it it's just like they've grown up in a community that has been like entrenched in poverty Mm -hmm. and so consistently exploited that it's like they don't have the power uh, structures to fight back yeah, and that's the only, really one of the only jobs inside of that town. I mean, the, there's a segment where the coal miners are talking about how um, employment is not, employment isn't plentiful in yeah. town. There's only a couple other shops that are willing to hire people, and it's only for minimum wage, which, yeah. you know, they say we can't live on, and that's, you know, a still problem, still no, a problem we have today. Yeah, and so outside of that scene where they go to New York City, uh, and they really do take it directly to like the corporate people who are suppressing them. Outside of that, uh, it mainly takes place on the picket line, and it's you know scene after scene of like uh, these scab workers coming in and breaking the picket line, whether uh, with the help of cops or just them being violent. But also, yeah, the amount that like the cops just completely, you know, give way uh, to you know, the side of the scab workers, despite their violent tactics, uh, is, yeah, extremely depressing. <laughs> oh, yeah. And there's that one fucking cocksucker, Basil Collins, oh my who God. is described as like a gun thug. Yeah. And it's just like you see many times like the camera will like focus in on the fact that he's just always has his gun ready. Yeah, he's touching it most of the time. Yeah. yeah. Just looking for an excuse. Yeah. Yeah, and they, I guess, fired machine gun rounds at them at some point. That that one scene is so haunting because it's so mm-hmm. dark. You can't see anything. And, you know, the, can't, the film speed isn't fast enough. And so the gunshots going off just create these, you know, flashes of light where you could kind of see people moving, but not really. Uh, and apparently that's when, you know, there were more than just handguns uh, being shot. And then eventually, of course, 
uh, one of these gun thugs hired by the company to fight off the union workers shoots one of them with a shotgun in the face, which is, you know, devastating. And that's what eventually uh, leads to the agreement that makes it seem like that's going to be the end of the movie. And then I love how Koppel, you know, keeps it going for another 20 minutes to see, you know, this wasn't a happy ending that they got Mm -hmm. uh, the contract that they were looking for on that particular strike. But, you know, that's getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. Uh, the middle chunk of this movie that I just described, I think, is really what the heart of it is, is just the everyday grind of going out there and then after being on the picket line, going back, you know, and having discussions with all mm-hmm. these people of how you could further mobilize your effort. And, you know, they have to also match the firepower and get guns. You know, the mm-hmm. the great scene where she pulls the gun out of her bra is just, you know, as powerful as anything in the movie. There's that spectacular victory that they have against uh, Basil. Oh my God. When he creates like uh, that lineup of cars when they block the road. Yeah. And they're just singing. We shall not be moved. And that scene is like mostly the miners wives. It's just Mm -hmm. such an adamant time where they're like standing up to him. It's their wives and their children. Yeah. Yeah. And they're paying uh, the sheriff to arrest him. Mm -hmm. They're like just because it's so clear that all the structures are like working against them. But they're so united there. It's it's beautiful. Yeah, that is confounding, though, that that mm. sheriff, like, w- they were like, oh, we have an arrest warrant. And then the sheriff was like, well, you know, I'm not. W- w- why didn't he initially even want to take the arrest warrant? They had to give him $100 to go yeah. serve it to that guy, which is just like the fact that he was willing to do that on camera. I <laughs> yeah. guess he didn't think much of this crew and that this movie was going to be seen by anyone. <laughs> no, very shameless. And yeah, there's like. The camera crew gets in like some some of the bad guys' face like directly. I mean, even when the cop eventually arrests Basil, you just see Basil kind of like dumbfounded and like kind of looks at the camera and eventually tells it to get away, which yeah. is a good moment. And at that point, you also see the sound recordist is still there, and that is Barbara Coppola. I saw it in mm-hmm. the credits. I was surprised by that at first. And then I realized it makes a lot of sense because so much of the kind of authorial stamp is like, the timing of when they're interviewing these people uh, and like the work that she does as an interview uh, or interviewer, sound recordist and director on this is pretty astonishing. Yeah. I mean, to speak to, I think there is something that like film critics will often attribute to movies that's like, Oh, this is like this changed the world or like, I mean, fiction, nonfiction films. Yeah. Uh, but I think the presence of uh, the camera crew here really does something spectacular in like, honestly, like saving lives. Because I mean, even though they like literally get fucking shot at, like the presence that they're recorded, like actively discourages violence uh, yeah. from them. And another thing I feel like speaking to potentially my ignorance the first time I saw it, like this takes place in the seventies and there is like a family that is fucking murdered. I know we mentioned, uh, or I mentioned earlier about Joseph Yablanski, I believe his like wife and daughter are shot in his house. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah. You know, assassinating a candidate for like the president of a labor union and his family, you know, going to those lengths is you know if anything summarizes the struggle of this film it could be seen as that but then that's also just on the level of 
the people in charge. It's not even, you know, how the miners themselves are the ones that are dying, as they say when they're on Wall Street, one a day dying in the mm-hmm. country. It's, I think, oh, an, another thing in regards to the murder, I think it's funny that the union uh, president who put out that hit, Tony Boyle, he pulls the Weinstein where he's like when he's going to court, he's like wrapped up in a blanket being <laughs> led in in a wheelchair. The E.T. move. <laughs> yeah. I'm just a frail old labor <laughs> yeah. boss. I, I couldn't have put this hit out. I mean, yeah, the the brutality and the cruelty that they're willing to do is just. You know, it's I mean, it's not unfathomable, but it's just, it's just sad. I mean, yeah, something that's very telling uh, about the ruthlessness of this, the ruthlessness of these people is at the beginning when he's talking about when children worked in the mines. And yeah, they would, work, they would earn eighth of a cent an hour. And what's these kids? No, I think it was six and a fraction a cent an hour. Right. Damn. Yeah. 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 Even so. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not good at math. Yeah. So maybe that's how they got it over on those kids. <laughs> <laughs> Look, Malcolm, I'm giving you an eighth of a cent an hour. <laughs> oh, I know it. I know it. Oh, yeah. And once the kids go on strike and try to stop that, the basically the whole town comes and tries to convince them to do yeah. otherwise. All the way up to even the church. The church wasn't in on it. So it's. You know, people talk about conspiracy, but yeah, it's all true. Yeah, every conspiracy is true and against the left. Exactly. I hate to say it, <laughs> it's true. But I mean, they echo like a lot of similar things uh, that are like present today in like the struggle for Medicare for all. Like when they're talking about like higher wages um, and being able to unionize, uh, some of the workers are like in other countries, like this is a thing. And yeah. like that's the same. Like, they have argue- the preventative care for the lung disease that all of these guys are getting. It's disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Also, yeah, to speak like in the beginning, there's some people that are in opposition. I don't think those are actually like the scab workers, even though she does interview them a couple times. But in the beginning, you get one guy who says all labor unions are are known communists. Yeah. And then another one like uh, I I forget even what. But like just the fact that like, I don't know, it's such an awful time in America where you have, you know, the labor movement kind of dying out and then red scare kind of making everything Mm -hmm. that's unionized and communal, uh, be viewed as like the worst thing possible. Uh, which I think get, we get maybe a little bit of in our second movie in the, in the text, uh, unknowingly, but, uh, yeah, it's a rough time, uh, now and then. Yeah. Creating a lot of misinformed voters. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, even in like what we're talking about earlier about the, like, somewhat optimistic uh, like the victory they get is still at the expense of Lawrence Jones being fucking killed yeah it's like they weren't willing to concede up until that point that blood was shed yeah that's extended clip most depressing movie we've ever watched probably right I don't know it's the one that I had the least amount of smiles on my face discussing yeah Probably. That was a weird way of phrasing. <laughs> <laughs> There's one. I count how many smiles. <laughs> yeah, smiles per minute. <laughs> There's the one thing that made me smile is uh, <laughs> um, there is uh, when they're interviewing the Duke Power guys. There's a guy, Logan uh, Patterson, who's like legal counsel for them. And this guy literally looks like a fucking ghoul. Yeah. Yeah. He is like (laughs) decayed and like just barely alive. It looks like he's dying from syphilis. (laughs) (laughs) Like an old king, like Caligula. (laughs) From fucking fucking over the workers so much. Um, 
any final thoughts on this one before you assign it a rating? Uh, four Bullets, good movie. Gotta love a documentary. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, you're in a documentary class in film school right True, now, True, yeah. Right? Actually, we just watched a great documentary uh, the other day that our teacher assigned for us, Parasite. She showed us Parasite. <laughs> so I was glad to learn about the strug- struggles of the working man <laughs> before I watched Harlan County, USA. Are this and uh, Crumb last week the only like nonfiction we've ever done? I think so. Oh, and Kitty. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Forgettable. <laughs> no offense, Nico. <laughs> Call <it> out. <laughs> Four bullets for me too. Uh, yeah, this is really like harrowing, and then uh, also just like on a stylistic level, I guess it's uh, really interesting to look at. Uh, very interesting, you know, textured cinematography and the uh, local, you know, landscape is filmed very. Not like, lo- I wouldn't say lovingly, but very immersively. Uh, and yeah, I think uh, Coppel does like a great job as a uh, director on this because it's such a large story when you pull mm-hmm. back from it. And she's great at like keeping the larger systemic issues on the same level as the very specific issues that these striking workers are facing. Yeah, I mean, it's very well structured. That's one thing that stood yeah. out to me heavily. Yeah, this is uh, five bullets for me. Um, straight into the <laughs> straight into the homes <laughs> of striking workers. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but no, no, on a serious level, uh, it's so personal and real, and captures a lot of just intimate, depressing moments. I mean, it's mixed with like so much hope, but in the face of like some of the worst exploitation that you could possibly see like one moment that like each time I've seen this has just like made me like weep is uh, when it's like Lawrence Jones funeral and like his mom is like going up to the casket there and just like, she like sort of faints and has to be carried carried. away. It's just, I, I, I don't know. It's so emotionally moving in not a manipulative way because it's um i don't know so many of these issues are still like incredibly present and uh one of an an all-time fave for me extended the clip crybabies club i also (laughs) did tear up at that scene i didn't but i wish i did (laughs) so i could sound so i could fit in (laughs) uh Oh, man, now I'm all sad again thinking about it. So we'll be back to talk about a really uh, fun movie to lift your spirits after the break. Uh, Gung Ho by Ron Howard. (laughs) We shall not be moved. We shall shall not be moved just like a tree that's standing by the water. We shall not. All right, and we're back on extended clip. Uh, before we get into gung ho, is there anything else you wanted to talk about that you saw this week? Yeah, you know, you know, new segment, extended clip, stinker of the week. <laughs> <laughs> I saw a real stinker. Uh, now nah, this movie's like, it's all right, it's all right. Uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. If you thought we were done shitting on 2019 movies, well, no, <laughs> it still continues. I'm AMC A-list member now, so I'll be seeing more movies at the multiplex. 
And, you know, I decided to catch up with this one. There's a lot of hype around it. Almost, you know, if Parasite was the number one internet hype movie of the year, this was definitely number two. Mm-hmm. A lot of stand culture around it. Both of them had uh, letterboxed function errors. <laughs> <laughs> True, yeah. Both uh, Letterbox pushed these pretty hard. You know, Letterbox says they don't have an agenda, but... Uh, they put the site in black and white for Parasite. Yeah. They, for Lady on Fire, when you go to rate it, there's flame symbols. You know, I, there's nothing like this for Richard Jewell. That's all I got to say. <laughs> I don't want to see Lady on Fire because it's going to make me too sad, reminding me of Liz Warren's campaign. <laughs> she was on fire. <laughs> uh, this, um, I think this movie is like well shot and it's like even well directed, but I feel like the screenplay really takes a lot of it out of, takes a lot of it out for me. Like, Every line seems to be delivered with like so much meaning. There's, it's supposed to be so heavy, and it's just it turns me off so much. And like, it's it's almost like each line, like there'll be a line that's said, and you're just waiting for like the perfect response dialogue. Like one example is like they're laying in bed after having sex or something like that, and one of them's like, oh, I feel so much regret, and it's like one of them like, you know, don't regret, remember. It's like, <laughs> it's like lines like that uh which sounds you know, like the urban outfitters version of like an art film yeah kind of like and i know taking it out of context isn't fair i know it's not fair but, but we're gonna <laughs> do it <laughs> but any gonna... other things that don't work out of context from the movie <laughs> uh no i tried i tried reaming uh reaming i tried uh i tried reading armand wright's <laughs> <laughs> you tried reaming Armand White? I tried reading Armand White's review of this, and he's just mostly mad about the abortion stuff, which is like, it's fine. It's definitely tr- it's definitely like didactic in a way where it's speaking to you know current issues, but also yeah. issues that you know happened in the past too, which I don't have a problem with. Yeah, when I yeah. heard it was a period piece, that's when I heard when I decided I wasn't going to watch it. Yeah, I think I think that's probably a good move. It's not even in terms of production design and costuming. It's not even like it's it's definitely well done, but it it wasn't even like making me go psycho. Yeah, like you know some of those could. So, you know what? If you were thinking about watching it and you're like on the fence, I, I say I say give it a skip. <laughs> <laughs> Way to support my women. <laughs> go go see First Cow. Okay, yeah, yeah, awesome. why yeah. Not? That's technically out, but it's only playing in two fucking theaters in LA mm-hmm. right now. So yeah. I really hope it goes wide so I don't yeah. have to go to the fucking Hollywood arc light. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go watch Harlan County, USA. Don't watch Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Damn, dude. Class over gender? Class over gender. Who would have thought, hey, Warren just dropped out, so I get a free pass <laughs> on this type of shit. Just, just for today. Check the date on this for this one. <laughs> What about you, JT? Um, yeah, I saw Hamlet 2 by Andrew Fleming, 2008. This was, I mean, when I was watching this, it was one of those times where it's like, I don't want to feel like thinking about anything. And uh, I remember uh, on Comedy Central as a young boy seeing uh, trailers for this with snippets of Rock Me Sexy Jesus. And I was like, <laughs> What? what this is this isn't a pc this is crazy and uh i uh <laughs> um young jt was really against the pc establishment <laughs> i just it's all i knew uh, um, politically correct with bill maher politically incorrect rather um but yeah no i wanted to check this out for steve coogan in particular 
Um, and it's a high school drama teacher who's like a failed actor that he portrays who one of the early funny bits is that he all of his plays are like adaptations of movies that this little kid uh, critic uh, very akin to lights camera Jackson uh, is like reaming him out uh, and giving him negative reviews and he's like oh man how do I like what am I gonna do to get like to get like a positive review from you it's like make some original work and so he does a sequel to Hamlet um, and Coogan's character is a really funny like shit lib kind of a guy um, who's like working out like a lot of uh, daddy issues within the context of the play and it's about him trying to unite like uh hispanic students that have sort of been forced into the drama club uh with um the like theater kids and there's a lot of funny like conflict there i mean some of the jokes are a little bit too much in the edgelord like vein of like isn't this shocking isn't this risque because an early line coogan has is he's something bad happens and he describes it as being raped in the face and then one of the first musical numbers in Hamlet 2 is raped in the face. And it's just like, it's that's pretty fucking dumb. And there are like some really good songs and like really good bits that work out really well. Um, but sometimes it's weighed down by some bad shit. So it's like, it, it really rides the line between three bullets and three and a half for me. <laughs> um, but pretty funny. Nice. I saw a Clint Eastwood picture uh, called White Hunter, Black Heart. Uh, this is about the filming of The African Queen, the uh, the John Huston film uh, with Katherine Hepburn and Humphrey Bogart. And Clint Eastwood plays uh, the John Huston character. And yeah, it's great. He d- He's doing like an old timey voice, which is kind of weird for Clint Eastwood, uh, like being a 50. 50- like he's still like a rough guy because, you know, it's John Huston, but he's still like a 50s guy too so that is a little weird uh but also it's like already like old man clint doing his like un pc stuff not Uh to get back to what jt was just talking about but like (laughs) there's like a bit where he's you know uh there's multiple bits where he's like saving people from he's like being an anti-racist person but like also you know squashing racism with more racism kind of (laughs) uh, with ironic racism that is uh and yeah sounds good to me yeah there's this one scene where like uh this you know colonizer british lady is over there with them in africa she's talking about like uh, the one good thing Hitler did was his ideas with the Jews. And it was like, Jesus Christ. Whoa. Uh, yeah, but then uh, Clint Eastwood gets into this whole monologue where he's like, uh, you know, when I was in uh, England in World War II, uh, I heard a woman say something just like that. And and then he like begins drawing her. And he's like, and I said to you, uh, you know, you're the ugliest goddamn bitch I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, he just Jeez. says that phrase like four times about, <laughs> this, about this lady in a story. Oh and then God. he just looks up at her and he's like, and that's why I'll tell you now, you are the ugliest goddamn bitch I've ever seen. And uh, he finishes drawing her and she has transformed into uh, Hitler. So uh, Clint, you that know, sounds amazing. Yeah, Clint drawing pictures of Hitler to own like a racist, you know, anti-Semitic a white lady. feminist. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Liz Warren. Oh jeez, <laughs> <laughs> that's gonna suck if she like endorses Bernie tomorrow. No, morning I just before. I was. Oh, didn't she just? Interview I was scrolling or through Twitter. Um, oh. 
And I saw this is some bullshit. It's she was yeah in an interview said, um, "Why do I owe anybody an endorsement?" <laughs> is that a question they asked everybody else who dropped oh out of this God. race? And then on Sanders and Biden, I think I would have made a better president than either one of them. That's why I was running. Damn, Gee, what a fucking that's <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. And then there's uh, one point where the. Uh, all, like all the British dudes form like a soccer team and play all the African dudes at soccer and they're all wearing like cleats and stuff and the other guys aren't wearing shoes and they still shirts fucking, versus skin yeah and they still fucking whoop their asses and it's pretty yeah. funny just Clint being like oh yeah Englishman you're not so good at soccer are you yeah. <laughs> like the whole point of that scene is just like you know Clint shoving it in their faces kind of and there's another scene where uh a uh, like the hotel owner guy uh you know is like just totally berating and ending up beating uh this one you know black bus boy that he has or i think actually like a waiter and uh then clint eastwood just takes him outside and fights him and it's pretty cool he loses but you know it's pretty cool he fights him yeah i the one way i could get into patriotism and americana like culture is like making fun of British people and just like owning the British. Yeah, that's that's when I become a full patriot. <laughs> that's when I go full seventeen seventy six. Uh, but yeah, this film has like one of the most depressing endings ever. Like he, I I don't want to get into it, but you know, it's a man who is there to shoot a motion picture, but instead would much rather shoot an elephant. And the whole movie is him delaying his crew uh, to start shooting because he doesn't want to begin the film until he kills an elephant. So. <laughs> Yeah, it's a uh, pretty fucked up text on masculinity. That sounds that sounds like one of the strangest Clint Eastwood movies I've heard. It's amazing. Description. Yeah, I really want to see I that. I only gave it four on Letterboxd, but I feel like I'll... Because it's... I don't know. You know, Clint always has that leisurely pace to his mm-hmm. films. This one is like very slow at points, but I don't know. I feel like I could really luxuriate in it. Uh, so I, I feel like I'm going to be going back to this one for sure. Gung Ho, 1986, a film by Ron Howard, everyone's favorite meteor en scene. Uh, director of... Um, that really bad Grinch movie? Yeah. That's like one of the worst things. Yeah. I oh, yeah, yeah. That's awful. A Beautiful yeah. Mind. Uh, Solo. Yeah. Damn. Those are some classics of Classics on classics. <laughs> yeah. if, just in case you're not familiar. Splash? Who doesn't love Splash? <laughs> Me. <laughs> I wa- Splash is garbage i've seen the poster and i don't even know what the fuck that movie's about it just seems like there's like a wave and there's like tom it, cruise it in should it. be good like it's not tom cruise oh i mean <laughs> tom hanks <laughs> some sort of tom maybe it's, you know got some tom cruise in there it could be a good movie but especially yeah, a young tom cruise tom then, hanks yeah. fucks mermaid you know it should be good but it's not because ron howard uh you know he's competent enough he's not like there's nothing in his films that just shout bad director Ron mm-hmm. Howard other than the overall misery that comes with watching them. Yeah. But like competency is sometimes like a lot worse than just being a bad movie because yeah. then it would be interesting like this. I don't know to like to dip my toes into yeah. gung ho by Ron Howard. It's not like it's so fucking boring. I think that's the biggest drag about it. Yeah, like, in the right hands, this is a shitty B-movie that is only 85 minutes and probably a little more problematic, but more fun to watch than this. Uh, This one is just, like, both casually racist throughout its very long Mm runtime and not, you know, in a very, like... I don't want to like critique it for having toothless racism, <laughs> but, like, <laughs> but all right, it, all right. The, the problem with that is because they somehow 
unite at the end, right? And like yeah. the Japanese take on the American type of way. So in a way, it's almost worse that it's like these people have been kind of racist the whole time, but not enough to where they're saying like hard slurs yeah, or anything like that. The film also doesn't acknowledge that the exactly. film itself is doing the subtle racism. Uh, the film is about people, you know, coming together despite their differences yeah. in values about labor. Uh, but like it doesn't work at all on that sense. And the film has a very, you know, um, like very cut and dry view of what Japanese culture is. Yeah, and very, it's a very ignorant one as well. A very Isle of Dogs view of a Japanese yeah. culture. <laughs> <laughs> this gets the extended clip Wes Anderson film of the week award. <laughs> I think the, the shot of the of him in the boardroom, very Wes Anderson, right? Oh, yeah. No, when he first goes to Tokyo and he's like, and Michael Keaton is he, by the way, mm -hmm. uh, and he plays like the foreman of a factory that had been recently shut down. And it's, you know, a factory town like Harlan County. And uh, he goes to Tokyo to try to get a Japanese motor company to reopen the factory and, like, uh, you know, I guess produce their cars with American labor. And that first scene actually does have, like, some pretty interesting symmetry in the way that, like, the lights, those lamps are on the desk. Mm -hmm. And, like, the, you know, pa the patterns of lines that are formed, you're like, oh, wait, is Ron Howard, like taking time to line up these shots and make them kind of intriguing. Yeah. And then it's like, Oh no, this kind of fades away. And it's, you know, if there's ever a really nice uh, image in here, it's purely incidental. Yeah. And it's showing the rigid uh, rigidity of <laughs> uh, Japanese culture as they all stare yeah. at him blank face. So he's, you know, he's adding meaning to the image. Yeah. That beginning has definitely <sighs> oh, some, uh, that's awful. Uh, <laughs> some lost in translation vibes. <laughs> Uh, where, you know, he's dumbfounded at the cultural differences and the language barrier creates a classic comedy. Hey, did you decorate this place yourselves? Because, I mean, it's damn nice. It's real oriental kind of a feel to it. Do you speak English? I'm just curious. We all speak English. Well, I mean, the, the very, very beginning is like the the group of like Japanese like management being berated with like yeah. the like ribbons of like shame oh, like God. That taped was so onto weird. their chest. Yeah. It's like uh, bullshit. I don't know what that was. That was like whoever wrote the screenplay or Ron Howard like saw one you know ultra violent Japanese movie at like mm -hmm. a grindhouse once and was like yeah this is how they act. I'm gonna I'm gonna make them do this for like that's how they do job training there yeah. I guess yeah the Japanese stereotype of like yelling like, yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's just not like absurd enough to be caricature true and, yeah like but too grounded it, it like occupies a weird space between comedy and drama where it's really neither yeah no classic so, Ron Howard right <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's very true because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> his most dramatic efforts end up being pretty funny mm -hmm. uh, and then his comedies are generally awful I don't know if splash is supposed to be a comedy but either way it's very painfully unfunny uh this one also painfully unfunny it was i was a little more like uh interested in it i think than you guys mm -hmm. i i at least it didn't drag as much as it did for you you guys both reported being very bored and zoning out during this movie yeah yeah but especially by the it really meanders to get to like its main point of michael keaton kind of just like fucking up his yeah. promises and stuff like that and yeah just really fucking bores me yeah total zone out yeah the first half of this movie is the japanese company coming in and reopening the factory and like 
you know, culture clash the whole time. And and George Went also, uh, he's in this movie. He's like third build, and he's like a good friend of Michael Keaton's character Hunt. And uh, in the beginning, before Hunt goes to Japan. He gives him a lighter and says, Don't eat any raw shit, okay? <laughs> Not a good note to start on for uh, old Norm there. No! Yeah, I mean, Norm's uh, constantly espousing, like, very half-baked racism yeah. slogans, like, yeah, come over here, made in Japan. Yeah. Like, it's just like, <laughs> uh, all right. Like, <laughs> yeah. The one Norm moment I do like in this is the baseball scene where he just, yeah. he, he oh my just like, God. trucks. Like, I like seeing Norm run in slow-mo. Yeah. <laughs> All of his uh, gestures were very good. It's a very mm, yeah. physical performance. Yeah. yeah, there's a great baseball scene where the Japanese guys, kind of like the uh, the soccer scene I described mm. in uh, White Hunter Blackheart, where the Japanese uh, workers are all in like Yankee-esque baseball uniforms with pinstripes mm-hmm. and, you know, wearing cleats and everything, where the, uh, you know the union guys who are playing in their Sunday League softball game are all just wearing different T-shirts and stuff like that with jeans. And uh, it's it ends up being a competitive match despite the Japanese clearly having the edge in every possible capacity. You just kind of keep seeing the score even out toward the end, <laughs> which is weird. Uh, and then, yeah, as we mentioned, Norm uh, gets a little base runner interference action on. Yeah. Uh, does the thing. I think Alex Rodriguez did this on the Yankees against the Blue Jays like, when I was in middle school. Yeah. Uh, where he's coming around the bases during a pop fly that's in the infield. And he just like hits the fucking fielder that's about to catch yeah. it. Uh, and so the the home team is able to win. And I got to say, the baseball scene is probably the most competently directed and yeah. uh, momentum-filled set piece of this otherwise pretty dry movie. That scene makes like the like all the workers seem like such fucking assholes. Especially oh, yeah. George Went. And this is one problem I have with this movie is how much it disrespects all the workers. It yeah. makes them seem like just kind of like the stereotype that we were talking about in the first half of the episode, just kind of like dumb fucks who can only like understand sports and yeah, like exactly. women and stuff like that and are easily swayed too. It can just yeah. eat up lies like, you know, their goldfish brains or something. No, yeah. When Michael Keaton first has to tell them that their starting salary is going to be below what they used to get a mm-hmm. year ago, uh, he has to use like a sports story to tie it together as to why that's okay. And I think very early on you get like the dichotomy that this film draws between the union guys who are just like, yeah, bozos who only understand sports and the Japanese guys who are like fascistic anti-union guys uh, (laughs) because they also don't form the like I thought that they had just resumed their role in the union when the factory started back up. And then halfway through you hear one of the Japanese guys say, Oh, you can't start a union. And I was like, I thought they already, okay, I guess. Okay. Uh, very muddled uh, specifics. Yeah. Howard not getting into the specifics of labor like Harlan County does also not to be nitpicky, but remember that scene where, you know, he hangs with the boys kind of like he's in high school yeah. on that front porch <laughs> and they see that hot blonde woman and that like, there's like a scene Michael Keaton has with her where she yeah. says hello. It's like, and it doesn't, and even they're like, like, she says hello to you. Like, yeah. She <laughs> yeah. likes me. I mean, it's weird because that scene detracts from like Keaton has like a love interest yeah. too. It's yeah. Oh, the relationship with him and his girlfriend sucks. Yeah. Yeah. But also it's like, does she ever like, she comes up in the fight that he has with his girlfriend, but does she ever like reappear again in the movie? No, it's, it's such just a, a useless, name to drop. Yeah, yeah. That pisses me off. Yeah. But the relationship with his girlfriend is just like him 
kind of treating her like shit and then every time he fucks up yeah. going in her car and like cuddling up to her while she drives <laughs> him around and also there's like i mean aside from the racism there's some weird like heavy misogyny yeah where it's like he's at the dinner um with the japanese businessman trying to like wheel and deal oh, about yes, like course. some plans and he's like shut the f-, like essentially yeah. a shut the fuck up yeah if i can't nobody can nobody can <laughs> hey would you shut up No, but what's before that, I think, is the most important, or really that scene in general is the most important distinction, if we have to make one between this and Harlan County, USA, is that they say, you know, all right, well, before dessert, we have to talk business. And right when that is said, the three wives of the Japanese men, like, get up and leave. And it's just like, oh, you know, it's implied that she has to leave. And so much of what Harlan County, USA is about is even if those wives aren't working, they're still, you know... uh, working for the cause of you know the strike and labor and everything like that they're involved in the movement where in this they're completely shut out yeah and it's also trying to like comment on like japanese culture and western culture saying like look isn't western culture a little bit more progressive yeah than japanese culture and then like him talking with those japanese people kind of like drives him to yell at his wife shut up and ultimately, I mean, I feel like the goal that the the guys are working for at the end where it's like, I mean, I'm sure we'll touch on like later down the line. It's like Michael Keaton lies to them about making uh, 13,000 cars when they need to actually like hit 15,000 by the end of the month to get like um, back to their old salaries. Yeah, back to their <laughs> old salaries. But it's like when they're rushing in like the last set piece to like get to 15,000 cars, it's like. They're working in service of capital where it's like it's not like I feel like a more pro worker stance with them sort of being like, fuck you to that. Kind no, of they're thing. all just giving it. They're all being scabs, basically, because yeah. before this, there's a walkout. And before that, the 15,000 cars thing is that's Michael Keaton's way of like saving his ass. You know, he gets fired, essentially. And then he says, whatever the record for the amount of cars that you were able to produce in Japan in a month will match it. And then everyone gets to get their old salaries back. And so they're like, okay, you got a deal. Very unrealistic labor negotiation. <laughs> uh, you know what? That's crazy enough. It just might work. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so then there's a walkout. Uh, Norm prompts it after he's been demoted to you know being a custodian. And so everyone is essentially on strike. They don't use the word strike. But they're all standing outside the factory, not in work clothes, uh, you know, basically protesting the company. And then, uh, yeah, Michael Keaton, uh, Hunt, and uh, Kazuhiro, who's like the Japanese guy who works with him the most. And, you know, they have their little bond together uh, where they find out that American and Japanese guys maybe aren't that all aren't all that different, (laughs) which is very bad. Like, I just hate the way that the message is delivered here. Uh, but anyway, so they start just like working on the cars themselves and then everyone just joins in out of the spirit of teamwork and camaraderie, yeah. but just to serve the boss, really. Uh, and but they make them bad. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. yeah. And uh, did you say Dave Kerr referred to this as like Rocky Four as a comedy? Yeah, pretty much. And that last montage is very Rocky Four esque but without the very strange sense of detachment and joy that Rocky Four has both of this movie is just kind of a zone out at that point it is kind of funny during that montage because like 
they're dancing, I even like though they're Keaton racing mug. against the clock. Yeah. yeah, Michael Keaton does the mugging throughout this whole yeah. thing, but they're racing against the clock to be the most efficient workers they can, and like three of them are dancing. So that's pretty <laughs> stupid. But, uh, you know, you can nitpick all you want. Uh, they're just having fun. <laughs> Haters, you know, go away. You know, honestly, thinking about it, Michael Keaton's performance in this reminds me of a slightly improved Chevy Chase performance. Because it's like just him, like, especially at the start, him just kind of like making quick jokes, you know, to the, yeah. for the audience, basically, and just like being like a slick asshole. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. But also yeah. the way that he gets uh, the workers to even go for that goal initially, mm-hmm. he moves it from sports metaphors in the beginning in his first big mm-hmm. speech to just racism the yeah. second time around. <laughs> He's like, you think the Japanese can produce more cars than us? Like, yeah. it just turns oh, what yeah. should be kind of a message of, like, you know, solidarity to fucking just jingoism slash racism. And it's like, yeah, nice job, dude. Well, like, I, I guess both the movies we watched today proves the you know the harsh libertarian theory that uh, <laughs> labor unions are racist so. and purely communist as well. Yeah, yeah. take that as you will. <laughs> uh, any final thoughts on this one before we shoot it down? Uh, Ron Howard is an absolute hack, um, and there's like better hacks than him too. You know? Oh, there's much better hacks. Yeah, than yeah. Him. Um, really don't like this movie it's not racist it's not racist in an enjoyable way um like like what you know the scene where they're at dinner with the japanese businessman and the wives you know compare that to a funny racist scene like an eastbound and down where uh will ferrell's business constituents or invites his korean business constituents and has people dress up in geisha outfits and like tortures people you yeah know? no i mean i feel like there would be it could be done better the uncomfortability of these people's ignorance like sh- it could be played as a joke very yeah. well and it's not but yeah it, you know it's it's even kind of toothless or not toothless it's useless to even compare it yeah to that because that's not what it's going for yeah one one bullet straight to the to the howie damn <laughs> <laughs> I like threatening Ron Howard with gun <laughs> violence. If anyone deserves it, it's him. <laughs> um, yeah, I was really hoping that this would be like uh, an exciting, like fun pick that would uh, lighten up the mood um, from Harlan County. But it's just a it's fucking boring and I don't know. So toothless in like anything like it doesn't the end where they like come together and. And they have that like, oh, we're all working together now. Yeah. Kind of Ron a- Howard globalist conspiracist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's such horseshit. This is a uh, one and a half bullets for me. Uh, aimed you know, at Ron Howard. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Uh, I really wanted to like this movie uh, because I was just like, this is just like a dumb '80s movie, and you know, competently enough made, and you know, it stumbles into some nice images and Keaton doing the mugging, and you get Norm, of course. No! But it is very bad. I, I was I was initially going to give it two, but like when I try to break down anything that this movie is trying to say, it's just dog shit, if not incoherent. And then like it's, you know, as a vehicle for comedy performances falls flat, you know, like Michael mm-hmm. Keaton is doing the best he can doing that mugging. But none of those quips are funny. Uh, and, you know. Yeah, there's a fight in the supermarket uh, where after Norm had been fired, and uh, my and we know we're calling him Norm. <laughs> Fuck you if you're mad at me. <laughs> yeah, uh, 
So Norm from Cheers has been fired, and uh, Michael Keaton, uh, aka Birdman, sees him, and you know, so Birdman like tries to get him to stop being yeah. racist uh, to like the wife of the Japanese businessman that they're working with at the grocery store, mm-hmm. and they get in a fist fight, and it's just really poorly directed. Yeah, like there's mm-hmm. no choreography to it. Like you get a big you know, lumbering man like Norm from yeah. Cheers. No! Uh, and you get Michael no Keaton. That should be a fun fight scene, but it's really not. And like, they don't put any score in it because yeah. Ron Howard thinks it would be like ironic and funny to use the grocery store background music, but it's not loud enough in the mix to mm-hmm. really be part of the scene. So you just get like their kind of awkward fighting sounds, which aren't funny enough, really, if that's what he's going for. And mm-hmm. it's just dumb. Yeah. One and a half bullets. Yeah, the like it, the, the way that the visual approach of that scene is just completely lazy. Like it's just yeah. this one like awfully framed master shot. Like it's like way too distant. Yeah, and then like a like a kind of a closer profile, and it just switches between those two, and it has no momentum, no energy. Very low T, Ron Howard. Very yeah. <laughs> this that, is also the, a classic Cinemascope movie that's only framed for Cinemascope half the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why, I mean, I feel like why the baseball set piece stands out is because he's trying to, he does, like, slightly more there. But, like, even with gags, like, there's an early um, one in the grocery store where the guy runs in and gets hit in the balls uh, with the groceries uh, cart, and uh, the lady's like, oh, my eggs. And he's like, my eggs. But it's just, like, it's not, like... If you're gonna do a nut shot, you know that's you a could, good joke when you tell it to me too. Like oh, yeah, I'm laughing. Yeah, that's no, funny. I, like not think, funny in the movie. Thinking though. of someone getting hit in the nuts is very funny, <laughs> but like one of my favorite things to think about. <laughs> I think about getting hit in my own nuts sometimes. <laughs> I'm gonna have to report you for ideation. <laughs> You know what? All right. Since you mentioned Birdman, I do want to mention this. I saw some a Scott Tobias tweet oh, great. Um, where he compares. You know, I've been, I haven't been dumbfounded by the decision of the American people to reject Warren. It kind of confounds me, like how Birdman won the Oscar or something Jesus like that. Christ. So yeah. Sorry to be so Warren heavy episode. <laughs> yeah. Hey. No, because it's like it's a thing that was like a big phenomenon like a week ago before yeah. she dropped out. It was like all of the blue check white film Twitter guys in their 30s yeah. came out for her like heavy before Super Tuesday. And it's like, look where you are now. <laughs> fucking Devin Faraci, <laughs> movie Bob. Uh, who else are those guys? Uh, uh uh, alien sh- Avatar guy Scott Weinberg Drew yeah. McWeeny Drew McSweeney's <laughs> yeah we're the proletarian film critics yeah. in the trenches with Bernie Sanders the funny thing is those guys don't even make money like I, yeah. I probably make as much money as a waiter as those guys do as film critics yeah. but they just have the access so they think they're rich yeah it's just they're, they're clout sharks that's actually not true I do not make as much as a waiter as Drew McWeeny's <laughs> I mean but it's it's probably aka cl- Moriarty from uh, the Harry Knowles blog <laughs> <laughs> it's probably closer than people would think though you know it is yeah, yeah it's probably closer <laughs> But can you really, you know, it's like those old MasterCard commercials, you know. Uh, What's in your wallet? Yeah. Well, would they add up the prices no. of certain things, you know, like food uh, food and gas for a month, however many hundred dollars, uh, you know, access to J.J. Abrams, priceless. <laughs> it was all worth it. I got to talk to J.J. 
Oh boy. Um, let me see if we have any emails this week. That's pretty much done. Yeah, no one do- does that anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no one asks us anything. We have not been emailed in quite a minute, but um, if you listen to us, please email us at extendedclip at gmail dot com. God damn it! Extended Gmail at clip dot com. Extended clip podcast at gmail dot com, and we do have one. Uh, from Ryan Kelly email at gmail.com. Now, this guy used to write to us every week, fell off. Damn, lost connection. Uh, subject line, damn, he really said it. And the body is, hey, just wanted to say that the so-called coronavirus is not what they want you to think it is. Possible people with it are evolving like X-Men. All I can say is the really deadly virus is all the negativity going around these days. That's really funny. Yeah, that's a pretty good email. He stepped up his game. That's really funny. I thought that was really funny. Yeah, I'm going to click on the automated Gmail response. I agree with you. (laughs) Uh, X-Men directed by Brian Singer. Food for thought. (laughs) Just think about that, man. Think about that. Um, Malcolm, did you pick out a double feature for next week? Fuck. No, I didn't. Okay, it's fine. Uh, (laughs) We'll see you next week then. (laughs) Uh, At Extended Clip 69, I'm at iPod underscore video. I'm at Bitchface Palace. I'm at Tallboy Thin Legs. Uh, at Bitchface Palace, you were doing some woke scolding today on the Yeah, yeah. Well, I I I was using the power of wokeness to be racist towards an Asian man, just like in Kung Hao. <laughs> I'll just I'll go where the wind takes me. I don't really I don't really have any values. <laughs> oh. But that was another and he not white, but another, you know, 30 something. Uh he's also not blue checked, but like I've never making seen this guy money before, film yeah. writer guy who came out for Warren. Uh mm-hmm. he was, you know, that's, you know, why Malcolm had to take him to task for well, all right, here, being here. homophobic. Yeah, he said all the Bernie supporters are butthurt. And, and you know, that's a messed up thing to say. Yeah. yeah. Goodbye. No!